It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Marie Osborne and Dr. Jonathan Zaden. Presented by Women's Excellence. Now here's your host, Marie Osborne. Dr. Zayden, we haven't seen you for a little bit of time. We're glad you're back on board with us. Time to catch up a little bit from our time off and what's new coming out in Women's Excellence in 2022. Well, I think today we'll talk about just our initiative in overall improving patient satisfaction in healthcare and some of the things that we've done, we've touched on them in the past and that we're gonna do in the future to kind of make it a more streamlined experience for patients. And also we have a returning segment, Ask the Dot, always very popular. Yeah, you always put me on the hot seat for that. And then we're going to talk about, this is Infertility Awareness Week. So we'll be talking a little bit about how to uh, best manage uh, trying to become pregnant. So much great information coming your way here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. It's been several months since the last Ugly Woman show. So much has been happening, and we want to catch up on what's been going on at Women's Excellence and the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America, Dr. Jonathan Zayden. We are in a post-COVID mindset, thank goodness. People moving about a little more, a little freer. I think everyone is probably still on guard, but at least we're moving about a little better than we were before. So we want to know what's going on at uh, Women's Excellence. So true, right? I mean, we were all cooped up for so long and it's nice to get back to what we have. And when we say when the grass is greener, we now know because we we walked on that lawn where we didn't have to wear masks for so long. And then maybe we didn't appreciate it as much as we do today, right? So now going back to a a less mask-free society, there's still a lot of people that will, you know, potentially want to wear masks because they have conditions that, you know, may ultimately be affected by getting a, a viral infection. But overall, I think that we are seeing society get back to normal, and that's really great. And from our perspective at Women's Excellence, it's nice because, you know, we're starting to get past the pandemic and we're starting to be able to hire more employees and get back to more business as usual. That was a very difficult time on on every medical practice, every business, really. And, you know, we've done some great things uh, during this time period. We didn't just uh, hang out and and, uh, watch the pandemic uh, on CNN. We actually uh, got to business and we hired an executive director. And that executive director was based on, uh, we talked about this, I think, in the past, where we, we actually hired a, a process-based engineer to, to look at um, how we do every process in our office. And that's really helped us. And we're trying to streamline our phone systems and communication systems, because now in the post-pandemic scenario, we have so many different ways that we communicate. And people communicate differently because they may be even working not at their job anymore, but from their home. So they have more flexible schedules and that, you know, requires our, our practice to actually change to allow and, and accommodate uh, what our patients are experiencing in their own lives and their time periods and how we communicate with them. So overall, a really great uh, time to, to regenerate our practice. I think COVID gave us a little break. So I'm going to look at the positives of it. And now we can come back and and be a more efficient practice with more efficient processes and more and better ways to communicate. 
And I know, Dr. Zane, you're very big about getting information out there, communicating with people who, not just your patients, but with the general public, because I, you're of that school where, you know, information is power and that it's so important to get it out there. I know you've teamed up with 96.3 to get to reach even more women in the community. You're talking with my good friend, Lauren Crocker from the Blaine Fowler Show. Tell me about the little program that you have going with her, the Healthy Truth segment. Well, I, I mean, I think it's really just, you know, patients out, you know, really reached out and, and said they liked the show that we do here. We provide a lot of information and we felt that we should do that in a in a place where we have a different demographic, right? Not everybody listens to WJR. So some of our listeners today have probably listened to 96.32, some don't. So, you know, it's just, a, it's an extension of, of the show that we do now. Obviously it's in a smaller segment because I mean, people wouldn't wanna be interrupted for, you know, 45 minutes to listen to a radio show on 96.3. They wanna hear their music. We understand that, but I think we are giving, you know, we are given the opportunity on 96.3 to provide really great information in a small little uh, segment, a couple minute segment, you know, to give people some thoughts that there are help, there is help out there for the condition that they might have. And it's just so important. Sometimes that little bit of information can spark uh, questioning and questioning of their own health. And that's just so, so important. I know um, you can visit uh, your Facebook page, Instagram pages, and you'll have all that information out there. So you're also going to be tackling something else within your office. And I know you're going to be having uh, uh, an update uh, or uh, you're going to make your call center more robust. I had no idea the number of calls that you handle every single day at your office. Unbelievable. I don't, I don't even know if I want to talk about this on our radio show because, oh. um, you know, that's it's probably the biggest dissatisfier of all doctor's offices is the ability to communicate with them. And we've really put a lot of efforts into that. So we now have um, upgraded our phone system to the same type of phone system that large corporations use so that we can use the same technology so that we can get with our patients. I mean, the day of having a single or two or three receptionists at the front desk and handling the volume of calls that we get today, it, it's really over. Plus on top of that, we have to be able to, um, you know, prioritize those calls and we need to be able to talk with our patients in different uh, you know, manners, such as the um, electronic medical record has a portal function. So our patients that are established patients, we can talk to them right through our portal. And we also have um, the ability to do online chat. So there's a lot of things that, that we've done over the years that we're incorporating and now having a larger phone system with better capabilities and more people manning that phone system I think is gonna be ultimately a better way to communicate with patients. And I believe, I truly believe that the number one thing that we're gonna be able to do in this next five years is learn how to communicate with patients in a better way. We have some of the medical sides down, but we don't necessarily always communicate that. We always hear patients talk about how the doctor was in and out and I really didn't know what, what he said or what she said. We hear that from every practice and we need to be able to communicate better. Some of that's going to be utilizing and harnessing new technologies. Um, 
videos that we can show the patient, small snippet videos that people can see that maybe outline a procedure, maybe outline our mindset to a procedure, the practice mindset. These are the things that people really want and the things that people really need. And that's exactly what we're trying to perfect at Women's Excellence. So we're spending a lot of time on the back end where, where our patients probably don't see it. But eventually over this next year, I really expect some great things that people will be able to get out of it at their convenience, because that's what people want today, right? They want to be able to use their phone. They want to be able to harness all this information off their phone. And what they really need, and sometimes they don't even know, is real information, not misinformation, not information from somebody who maybe had a bad experience, not information from somebody who it happened to them, but real information. And that's what we're really going to try to do. Uh, Dr. Zane, that that right there is such great information that patients will be able to come to your office, your website, and get information not from the web, I mean, and not make some crazy search and come up with crazy information. They're going to get it right from their doctor. What a great idea. I have to tell you that, you know, some of the misinformation that's proliferated isn't necessarily on purpose. When you leave a doctor's visit or when I leave a visit with a, a contractor, for example, that's maybe doing a build out for our center, what they're communicating and what I heard might be slightly different. It may not be completely different, but it might be slightly different. And if I were to share that information on the web as if it were truth, then that would be difficult maybe for, for other people to understand and they might mistrust their own contractor. When that's not the case really, the contractor didn't necessarily tell me misinformation. I just misinterpreted it and I heard it one time. And that's, I think, what's happening with people with all of this information that's coming at them. They're hearing from so many different sources about what is good and what is bad and what could be used and what worked for me and so forth that we want to make sure that people really know real data. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do. And so we're going to continue to strive to perfect that. Dr. Jonathan Zayden here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR. As you can hear, it's all about improving patient satisfaction in healthcare. That sounds like a big task, but Dr. Zayden is up to it. And we'll have more on what's developing at Women's Excellence when we come back here on WJR. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show, Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. Alongside, as always, we're kicking off the spring of 2022 with him back on the air and really answering so many of the questions that we have about women's health care these days. So for 2022, you've launched, uh, Dr. Zayden, a patient-centric initiative to improve the overall healthcare experience for women by evaluating every component of patient care to ensure that the patients have efficient and convenient experience. And I love how you say you want to solve problems, not create them as a patient. That's so, so important to me. And, you know, for I'm old enough to know that for a long time, doctors were not concerned or maybe didn't have the time or the, the ability to really focus in on patient satisfaction. So this is just um, so heartwarming to hear and so important for all of us. So 
let's start with this. How do you improve patient satisfaction in healthcare? And how are you doing it at, at your office? How do you evaluate your care teams, for instance? Well, I mean, the first the first thing is, is that, you know, it's not really the provider that isn't um, wanting to solve a problem. It's oftentimes the provider is disconnected from the problem. I know that doesn't make sense to you as a patient, but, you know, as a, you know, as a provider, right, I'm trained to give medical care. I'm not trained to give prior authorizations. And back, you know, back years ago, I mean, the big complaint about the doctor was that the doctor walked in and had their hand on the door, right? Because they, there wasn't enough doctors in the United States. There were too many patients, not enough doctors. So the doctors were just always, you know, rushed and they had to go somewhere and procedures took longer, right? They were, they were, it was less efficient because we were just doing them. So, you know, if you did a surgery, it could take much, much longer than it would take today, right? So, so that was the challenge. Today's challenge is still, is, is a little bit of that. But a lot of the fact that, you know, you have to get a prior authorization, you've got a bill, you've got two insurances, you um, are going to get a surgical procedure, but you can't do it at that hospital because they won't take it as an outpatient. So it has an outpatient code. It has to go to this place versus the other place. And all of those things add a lot of stress. And so what we're looking at is putting together a teamwork approach in our office to fix those problems. And let me tell you, this healthcare is probably the most complicated industry. If you think about computer technology, okay, and you think about how it got implemented, think about who went last. Healthcare, right? We've just become electronic over the last four or five years, right? I mean, on a wide scale basis. I mean, we've been electronic at Women's Excellence, I'm going to say more than, you know, probably 15 years, but we were the first practice in Michigan as a private practice to actually be uh, even uh, considered to get um, a healthcare stipend to help with electronic medical records. We were the first ones and that was, you know, like I said, less than 15 years ago. And, and the reason for that was because it's so complicated. There's so many nuances in healthcare. You can't standardize anything. It all is a little bit different. And now the insurance companies have really made it difficult to get the care you want, right? How many people have you used your insurance card? You pay for it, or, your, or you pay for it out of your check each month. Your your um, work and and your company that you work for pays for it, and they pay on time all the time, and you have these benefits, but you can't use them, and you don't know how to use them. And then when you do try to use them, they make it difficult. So that's what we're really working on. I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to need to do. And I said that in our previous segment that we have to get better communication and better streamlined processes, or or people are just going to be frustrated. And that, you know, unfortunately, I don't want to see a, a healthcare system in complete stagnation. I feel like we need to make a difference, and we need to make that difference right now. We need to, like, look at this system, not let the insurance companies run the, the system, but let the doctors and the insurance company put programs in place that help the insurance company's goals of making sure that the procedures and, and the visits that are, are provided are necessary and make the patient's goals of getting their care street, pretty seamless and, and efficient. And that's what we need to do. Uh, this, this is a, a question that I just marvel at. I know just over two years ago, you were sitting here talking about how you wanted to further develop um, 
telemedicine visits and that platform. And, you know, you were kind of telling us how it would work and we were all, had all kinds of questions. Next thing you know, we have a pandemic and now we're all doing that. So you were ahead of that game. So how are you leveraging more innovative technology? I mean, you did it obviously for tele, telemedicine, that platform, but what other things are you doing? You know, when I think of telemedicine today, I think of my basement and this big box I have with all these previous renditions of technology. I remember I had this, this little thing in my pocket when I, it was a pocket organizer, it was called uh, PCI on or something like that. And that was the first thing I carried around when I was a resident 25 years ago to keep myself organized and have some ability to have a document in my hand. Right. And, you know, and there's, you know, probably 20 renditions of those. Someday I'll be able to create a museum of old technology down there, right? But telemedicine is really no different, right? Telemedicine has been the exact same thing for us in that we are um, basically, uh, I don't even know how to say it, we're on our third rendition of telemedicine now. The one that we have right now is actually really, really great. It works almost seamless. And, uh, and what I think is going to happen long term is that that's the one that we will you know, probably always use and they'll just keep improving on it. We went to an outside vendor for that, uh, that platform, and I think it, it just works great. We can call the patient. We send them a text. We can have flexible timing because one of the things with telemedicine that people don't really realize is that when we do a telemedicine visit with someone, that person's on the line, but they don't know that we're doing something else. But the, the actual feedback that you get from coming into the office is you can hear people moving in the hallway. You can hear the doctor talking to somebody, maybe through the door. You might not hear what they're talking about, but you hear you know, that they are talking and you know that they're, they're there and they're waiting for you. But with telemedicine, you're in this virtual waiting room. You don't really know what, where the doctor is. And so now we have a more flexible way to provide a telemedicine visit, much more like the office. And, you know, we spent a lot of time evaluating what was the best platform for that. We have it on board now. So I'm so excited that, you know, again, cup half full, right? We had a pandemic. It's allowed us to look at our processes better, allowed us to communicate better, and it's allowing us to use things like telemedicine. It's allowing us to um, really kind of sit down and, and improve medicine from 101 to the 102 version. How are you improving employee engagement and staff education? We've just got a minute or so left, but I wanted to get that in. Oh, well, you know, you can't do any of this unless you start to really communicate to your employees on a regular basis. So what we've done is we started a new like intranet, you know, through our company so that we can kind of share all these initiatives as, we, as we've gone. This has become a big ordeal. It's a, it's a big part of our practice. We spent a lot of time doing it. I'm very excited. And this intranet allows our, our people to know, you know, how is it, you know, a little bit easier to book a, an appointment for a patient, right? So, you know, how can we get people in faster? So, you know, they, they, it gives them the tools to do that, right? And then, you know, we've done some other great things with all, all, the, all the technology you know, by allowing us to uh, get virtual visits along with regular visits, we can get a faster appointment for a patient, right? So it's a shorter wait time to get your visit, right? And we're trying to, you know, get the patient to use some of our technology to fill out their own pre, um, 
pre-visit workups, right? So that we get all their information from them. So it doesn't take as long for them to get the visit or to come into the office and check in, right? And the other thing that we've got to do as a practice that we talked about a little bit earlier is we got to use video and we got to use the communication methods necessary to keep patients in the know. We need them to know what we're doing. We need them to know why we're doing what we're doing, why our offices are open at certain times, why they're closed on certain times, why we're doing telemedicine in the evenings, stuff like that. All of that will allow us to improve our customer service. And that's exactly what we want to do. And we encourage people to give us feedback. We don't necessarily want to hear negative feedback, right? But whenever you roll in these new products, you're going to get feedback. And, and, and that feedback is ultimately going to generate a better office for us and a better customer experience for our patients. And that's our goal. Talk about feedback when we come back. It's Ask the Doc. And we're going to be bringing in Jessica Rousset, the Patient Outreach Coordinator at Women's Excellence. Stay with us here on The Healthy Woman Show on WJR. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. Dr. Jonathan Zayden is joined by his patient outreach coordinator, Jessica Rousset. We're glad you're back, Jessica. We love Ask the Doc. You really know how to grill Dr. Zayden. We're, we're ready this week. And today we have a lot of variety of questions, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But let me Marie, don't give her too much credit. She gets these from the patients. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do, and sometimes I try to organize them. But today they're kind of all over the place, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But they're really good ones, and some of them we haven't even covered before in any show. So oh wow, okay, yeah. So let's just jump right in. The first one is I can't orgasm no matter how hard I try. Is this something I should bring up to my? OBGYN, what can they do for me? You absolutely should if it's important to you, right? So I'm assuming that, you know, the patient is important to them. That's why they asked the question. But you have to remember that not everybody has the same goals and desires, right, out of relationships and so on and so forth. So I think the first thing is this question really is centered around any sexual problem is a very comprehensive problem. You know, there is, you know, the relationships, your environment, you know, how how your personal life is going, you know, whether or not you have desire, right? There's things that can help with that. Whether you experience arousal, is there mechanical defects that would maybe make sex not comfortable or or not possible, right? There's and, And then there's the ability to, if, you know, all of those come into play, the ability to actually have what we call climax in the, in the industry, right? So we we can address all of those separately. Um, so I think the, you know, can you read the original question so I can answer it directly now that I've given you that background? Um, I can't orgasm no matter how hard I try. Right. Um, you, yeah. Is it something we should bring up and then what can they do for me? Yes. They, there's absolutely some things that we can do. Um, you know, most of orgasm re- revolves around the nerve and the blood supply. And there's some things that we can do to help that. There's injectional ways that we can do to, to increase that. And there's medicinal ways that we can do to increase that blood supply and maybe even to, and to uh, bolster the nerve 
again, some of these injections that can help kind of bolster that uh, uh, nerve ending and the sensitivities there. So yes, there's ways of doing that. And then there's also different ways to discuss on how you stimulate somebody to get to that point, right? Because I mean, there's some techniques involved in doing that. It's not stuff that we like to talk about on the radio, but it's, but it's, the, you know, this is what people need to know. So, you know, at Women's Excellence, we're developing Enhance, you know that Jessica. Um, and we just recently had a whole series of meetings purely on this, um, you know, to talk about uh, this issue. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of how far we've gotten into that, Jessica, but we've gotten into it very deeply now on each level of that, which is why I can talk so freely about it because we, we've discussed it. So um, interesting question. It's the first one, a little bit on the hot seat, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, there's things that you can do about it and we can definitely help you. Awesome. Next one. And I like this question because we hear this term a lot, but what exactly is it? So let me jump in. I hear so much about hormones. What exactly do my hormones do? And what can I learn about, or what can I learn from getting my hormones tested? Well, the first thing is, you know, hormones are, are really kind of the gatekeeper of how you feel in your body, right? For example, if you don't, you know, people understand the thyroid gland. So if you don't have a thyroid gland, you feel very tired and your skin is dry and stuff. And eventually you didn't have any thyroid hormone. It, you, it wouldn't be compatible with life. Right. So, you know, these hormones are really how your body, pro they, they trigger how your body processes work. Right. So, you know, female hormones are no different. They may not trigger mandatory body processes. So you can live without the female hormone, but, um, but you can't reproduce without it. So if you're pre-menopausal and you want to have children, you have to have your hormones in balance. And if you're post-menopausal and you're starting to lose your female hormones because reproductive capacity is not an issue for you, testing your hormones gives us an idea of exactly where you're at making sure there's no other overproduction of hormones or there's no competing hormones and where your actual levels are, allow us to supplement you to make you feel a little bit better from a lot of different perspectives. And I could go into great detail about that, but you know, the main ones would be insomnia, hot flashes, mood changes, maybe from a sexual health perspective, vaginal dryness, you know, maybe, um, you know, just, just a feeling of being more, a little bit more aggressive, uh, sexual libido. There's a lot of things that hormones really kind of influence in your body along with a lot of other processes. And that's where hormone testing is, is helpful. Okay. When should I consider freezing my eggs and where do I go to do so? You know, this is a really complicated question, but I can answer it simply. You should consider free, you know, freezing your eggs if you have a condition that would require you to have your ovaries removed, right? And you're planning on, um, you know, having a, a baby yourself, either with the uterus yourself intact or with a surrogate. So you want to save. Really, you're really what you're doing is you're creating an insurance policy to keep your um, your gametes or your eggs in place so that you can use them in a different way at a different time. You really, if your body's functioning normal, you don't need to freeze your eggs unless you're somebody that wants to potentially, uh, you know, do something that's, you know, outside of what the average person would do. You know, I mean, there are people that are are now talking about they want to freeze their eggs when they're 30 so that they can, you know, maybe, you know, have their own grandchildren. We've seen stuff like that on the internet, right? Because the technology is available. 
this is not what you know we typically use it for. We use it for people that you know maybe have some uh, conditions like recurrent ovarian cysts, for example, endometriosis, things like that, but might require more extensive surgical intervention and the loss of your ability to have those those eggs in place because you may lose your ovarian tissue. Then it's good to freeze those eggs and then potentially again have options for a surrogate. Or if you still have a uterus intact, maybe you know you become your own surrogate. This one comes up every so often and, you know, it's kind of more on the cosmetic end, but I know you and I have talked before that insurance may cover something like this, depending on the severity, but this um, patient wanted to know, why does one of my labia hang lower than the other and how can I fix this? I mean, there's, these are, these are relatively simple fixes. I mean, the medical term uh, for that is labial hypertrophy. And what we do is uh, something called a partial vulvectomy. Uh, when the labia is bothersome. Typically, the insurance will cover that if there um, is a medical reason to do it, right? You know, more recently, we've seen people with more cosmetic concerns about their labia and, you know, and how how it actually looks. But, but you know, in, in one case, if like this, in this caller's case, where one is longer than the other, that might create increased friction. You know, when they're having intercourse, it might be more difficult if they have a job where they're sitting all the time and stuff like that. Um, that could be uncomfortable and, and might even lead to some additional infections or so forth or additional vulvitis or irritation of the vulva. So in those cases, we can just simply do a simple outpatient surgical procedure and, and correct that for them. Great. Um, let's see. Next one on the list. I have trouble focusing. I think I have ADHD. Is this something my OBGYN can help with me? Because that's the only doctor I regularly see. Yeah, I think, I think we can. I mean, I, I think ADHD is a pretty common event. I mean, there's multitudes of factors involved with ADHD. In many cases, maybe they should see a therapist that can kind of talk to them about some of their racing thoughts, because really what it is, it, it, ADHD is adult um, hyperactivity deficit disorder. So, you know, um, attention deficit disorder. So what you have is... Um, you have a scenario with ADHD where it's not just a a, a medical problem, right? It, it it your mind is racing, so it's a psychological problem and a medical problem. So sometimes we can you know initiate referrals to people. Sometimes we can start people on medications that will help them with ADHD without them even going to a referral if it's mild. But if it's severe, I usually, you know, and it's impacting their day-to-day -day activities on a regular basis, I typically refer those patients out to just get an evaluation because sometimes, you know, the way you process uh, all of that information, right, if you learn how to do that better, right, you can solve your own ADHD, right? There's compensatory, we call that compensatory techniques when we do that, so. All right, I think we got time for one more question. Is there anything I can do to stop my hair from thinning? Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, the first thing when you have hair thinning, and, and that's devastating for a woman, by the way. I mean, it's one of the, I think, one of the worst things that happens. I mean, obviously, you know, the worst things are when we diagnose a cancer and those things. I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, just from an overall, I'm a healthy person, and all of a sudden I come in and I have, you know, hair thinning. I mean, because, you know, you know, I look at it like this. When I see somebody like that and they talk to me about it, right, it's everybody that sees them knows it. And that's the difficult thing 
with hair thinning. So, you know, what you have to do is you have to first make sure somebody's healthy. You have to do a, a full comprehensive workup. We do that with laboratory analysis. Sometimes we do that with ultrasounds and we do special organ testing and stuff just to make sure that everything's fine. I've even done CT scans looking for, you know, adrenal hyperplasia, things like that. And then there's options, um, you know, not only medicinal options, but also things like platelet rich plasma that you can inject to, you know, restore, uh, you know, follicular growth at the level of the hair root. And then hormonal changes can do it too. So sometimes supplementing hormones can can help that. I, I always love to uh, uh, take care of these patients when um, we're successful with it. They're just so grateful, right? So I mean, it is a it is a great thing. There's you know a multitude of things you can do. Um, the first starts with finding out why you're getting. It. Jessica, thank you so much for such great questions this week. And we know a lot of them are tough to ask in a one-to-one setting. So this is great that they're out there and people can get some answers to those questions. Coming up next here on the Healthy Woman Show, Infertility Awareness Week. It is coming up and we want to tell you all about it. Stay with us here on WJR. Welcome back. You're listening to The Healthy Woman Show here on WJR with Dr. Jonathan Zaden. We didn't want the show to go by without talking about the fact that April 24th is Infertility Awareness Week, and this is something that affects so many women, so many couples, really, because this is a problem that affects the entire family uh, so deeply. So, Dr. Zaden, infertility, um, by definition, is the inability to conceive a child after 12 months of trying. Um, What other parameters are there when it comes to infertility? Are there ages? Are there, I mean, because women are having babies much uh, older than they did a few years ago at an older age, I should say, than they did years ago. So what other parameters are there to, to designate infertility? Well, I think the big thing is, is, um, you know, define trying because that's an interesting topic. Um, I'll talk to patients who have been trying to get pregnant for 12 months, right? But their husband travels, right? It's a different world, right? Their husband's out of town. Their husband is, uh, you know, I can remember clear as day, we had quite a few patients that were working on the pipeline that was, you know, ultimately, I don't think they're doing it now, but there were a lot of patients from Michigan that had husbands and, and boyfriends and so forth that were going to the pipeline and they would be there and they could only go there during the weekends, right? So, you know, they had kids in school. So, you know, they might've been trying for 12 months, but they were only having, you know, intercourse, right? A couple of times during the peak time. So it really is 12 months of trying with regular intercourse during times of, of presumed ovulation in people less than 35 years old. And then when you're above 35 years old, because it's becoming more and more difficult to conceive, we kind of relax that definition to go to only six months of those same parameters. And the reason for it is because if we want to find that problem earlier and intervene earlier so that people can have multiple children, we don't want to wait another six months to to find out. Right. I'm astonished at the numbers here. About 7.5 million people each year have trouble conceiving. This is a a big problem. One in eight couples are affected by infertility in the United States. One in eight, that means a lot of people must be coming to your office with this problem. And what I find interesting about that is that with all the tools that we have now, I mean, now there's these uh, home kits where they can tell you you're ovulating at this time and now's a good time. 
to have uh, intercourse so that you can get pregnant, that this is still such a big problem. Is there something else at work here? Well, I, I think that, you know, we just know more, you know, than we've ever known. Right. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm not sure about the actual numbers of infertility because I don't think you could really in, in truth, compare apples to apples because we know so much more about patients today than what we knew before. Right. I mean, like, for example, you know, there's more people that go to their cardiologist today for tachycardia or an increased heart rate than there ever have been. Why? Because we have watches, Marie, that tell us what our heart rate is. Before, people didn't know what their heart rate was, right? Now they do. They see it. The app tells them. They go to their cardiologist. So I'm not sure if we're seeing more people with infertility. I think it's always been a big problem. I mean, when you read novels and you watch movies, it's talked about all the time, right? In many cases, it's very subtle about how they talk about it, but it's talked about. Adoption has always been a big issue, right? All of these things. So many people have, have tried to get pregnant and, and can't get pregnant. I think the problem with infertility today is that, again, this is a this is a society where we have so many ways to communicate and there's so much misinformation put out there. You know, sometimes you could read in some person, don't, don't ever go to a doctor. I went to a doctor 20 times and I didn't get pregnant, right? And you could read a post right next to that in, in, a, in a chat room that says, oh, go to this doctor. I went there one time and got pregnant, right? I mean, so, and those are true, real things. I think everybody can identify that with, with that on the show today. But, but the truth of the matter is you gotta stay away from that. And you have to, you, if you have infertility, you have to think about infertility like a problem and you have to address it very straightforward and very sequential in a, in a very, you know, coordinated effort to, to get, to get you to the point where you have a baby, you know, you have to test the male. You have to, you have to make sure you're ovulating. You have to test your own hormone. You have to do all those things. If you don't do that, um, typically you're just kind of going all over the place. And I think we all know if you want to drive from Michigan today to Florida, the best way to do it is, is follow a map, right? And, you know, you have to have an infertility map and that is the big issue that you need. So you got to end the, you know, we got to end the taboo of, of fertility and really talk about when somebody comes in and says, Hey, I'm not able to have a baby. We need to put together this entire program for them to get them to that point. And then the patient has to be invested because this is a two-part, two-pronged approach. It's the doctor and the services that we can provide, and it's the patient and what they need to do. Because this is a labor-intensive process, uh, infertility, which ultimately will result in labor, right? I, not to pardon the pun, but you know it is labor-intensive. You have to monitor when you're going to ovulate. You have to make sure that you have the right, uh, you know, hormones on board. You might have to take the right medications at the right times. You have to, you know, have timed intercourse. All of those things might have to occur. So it's a, a very difficult process. In closing this uh, segment out, Dr. Zayden, if you or your partner are having problems conceiving, there could be some complications. Can you name some of those things that um, might be a problem in blocking your ability to have a child? You could have, um, you know, 
on top of like the standard, you know, like you're not ovulating because hormones aren't, aren't good and your own health isn't good. Or the, you know, you have male factor infertility where your, your, your partner is not producing adequate sperm, but you could also have blocked fallopian tubes. You could have an, an infection in the past that needs to be tested. Um, you have to have, um, you know, you have to make sure that the eggs that you are producing are healthy, right? So, you know, sometimes that, that has to be genetically tested. Um, we have to make sure that there's no immunologic issues meaning that your body doesn't have a propensity to attack your own uh, eggs or the or the sperm and the male so there's a lot of things that can be barriers on top of endometriosis scar tissue inflammation fibroids polycystic ovarian i mean all of these issues can impact infertility you need to do a full comprehensive workup when you deal with infertility that's the most important thing to know dr jonathan satan as always a wealth of information thank you so much again for joining us here on wjr for the healthy woman show again dr jonathan satan is at women's excellence womensexcellence.com be sure to check that out and you can get a lot more information there we'll see you again dr zayden coming up next month have a great day the healthy woman show has been presented by women's excellence 